good. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning, and uh, we are uh, glad to be able to gather together. And I'm, I'm thankful uh, to be able to be here this morning. We are going to continue on this morning in our series on true spirituality. And we've been taking a look at Romans 12 and unpacking a little bit of what it looks like uh, to experience true spirituality in our lives. And so believe it or not, uh, we're coming up here on the end of October. And so we're going to wrap things up next week. And, uh, and so I am thankful that uh, Pastor Paul is almost back. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to having him back. And I'm thankful for the time that God has given him. But it'll be really good to have him back. And so uh, we'll uh, wrap things up in this series uh, next week. And then he'll be back at the beginning of November, but uh, Dave Boyer will be preaching uh, that first week in November, and then Pastor Paul will be back. It'll be exciting to hear uh, a little bit about uh, just what God did during his time in the sabbatical. Um, just as a quick reminder, too, with that, that uh, we have a couple weeks left. If you would like to be able to contribute financially to uh, the expenses of his sabbatical, that is an opportunity that's available. Uh, you can mark that and drop it in the box as you leave on your way out. Or if you have any questions about that, you can talk to the elders. Uh, again, he's, you know, continuing to receive his regular salary. It would just be uh, a, a cool thing to be able to provide a gift to them uh, that's a little bit of above and beyond to help sort of offset some of the expenses of their sabbatical. And so if you have some interest in that, uh, you're welcome to do that or to ask about that. Um, but uh, we want to look at... Uh, this idea of true spirituality. I came across a story uh, that was told by a businessman, and he tells the story this way. He said this, uh, about a year ago, I remember a really difficult situation. I was at my desk near the end of the day, and I started hearing a sound. And at first, I thought it was someone crying, but as I listened, it didn't sound like crying. It sounded like somebody wailing. And it got louder and louder. And three or four of us went to find out what was happening, and we found Susan, who is our data analysis person, wailing and sobbing uncontrollably. And I don't know if I've ever seen another human being so overcome. And she was crying and wailing, and we were trying to figure out what happened. And so we were saying, Susan, what's wrong? What's wrong? And uh, the phone receiver was on the desk, and she had just gotten a phone call and learned that her brother had been murdered. It was out in Nevada, and it was somebody that she had often shared Christ with. Uh, he had taken in a drifter and was trying to help him out, and he didn't have a place to stay, and apparently they were both drinking, and an argument ensued, and they found Susan's brother shot in the back of the head. And there were beer bottles everywhere, and apparently they had been playing a game, and an argument ensued over who was winning or losing the game, and in frustration, the drifter shot Susan's brother in the back of the head. I rarely have seen a person as distraught. In the next weeks and months were times where Susan would come into my office and say, I know you've got a lot to do, but could, could we just talk for a second? Sure, Susan, I would say. And she would ask, how do I get rid of this anger and resentment? And she would start to shake my anger is so deep. I know that the, what the Bible says, and I know about forgiveness, and I know what I'm supposed to do, but all I can think of is revenge. And she called the sheriff and the authorities, 
and they had started an investigation and then they blew the investigation and they let the guy slip out of town initially. And so she just kept coming back and she was saying, I know what I'm supposed to do with this hurt and this wound and I know what's right, but how do you get there? I really want to do what God wants me to do, but I wake up with anger fantasies and my emotions are out of control. Now, I can't imagine that too many of us would be able to relate on a really specific level with her. But she probably went through one of the most difficult times that anybody could imagine going through. And the reality is, is that there are a lot of these types of situa- situations that occur in people's lives. And, you know, the, we live in a fallen world. And in that fallen world, there are these rocks that get thrown at us. And these rocks represent evil and injustice and betrayal that happens to all of us. And if it's not happening right now, it might happen eventually. But for the most part, it will happen sooner or later that we will go through things that are just tragic and devastating. And these rocks are constantly being hurled at us. And of course, I pray that that specific situation would never happen to anybody here But this morning, we're going to look at the last part of Romans chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over there. But we want to talk about this idea of our relationship to those that hurt us. And in this series, we've been talking about five key relationships. And what we've been saying about true spirituality is that the measure of our spiritual growth, the measure of spirituality is not what we do. It's not praying or reading the Bible or attending church or going to Bible studies or doing certain good things. All of those things facilitate what spiritual growth is, but they are not in and of themselves spiritual growth. Spiritual growth, based on what the Bible teaches and what Jesus specifically was teaching, and I think what Paul is teaching here in Romans chapter 12, is the best way for us to be able to measure the spiritual growth, the spirituality of our lives, is through our relationships, It is how God is changing our lives into the the relationships that we have. And so we looked at the relationship with the Heavenly Father. We looked at the relationship that we have with the world, the relationship that we have with ourselves, how we view ourselves, how the relationship that we look at with other believers and the church as in large. But then also there is this relationship that is important, that is the relationship that we have with those that have hurt us, those that have caused harm to us. And these relationships are the real indicator of our spiritual growth. Because we can check a lot of boxes and we can do a lot of things, but the real meter that reads our spirituality is the condition of our relationships. And so we want to look at a fifth and final relationship. And this morning I want to talk to you about learning to overcome the evil that is aimed at you. Because there is this reality that we will face evil. There will be rocks in our lives that will be thrown at us. Now, hopefully, none this morning at me. So you should have your rocks, but don't, I'm not encouraging you to throw them at me. Uh, but look at our passage here. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 14 through 21, through the end of the chapter here. This is what it says. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a powerful passage. And perhaps in terms of practical application, one of the more difficult passages for us as believers to wrestle with and to actually apply and implement in our lives. And like I said, the world is full of rocks, of evil, of injustice and betrayal that will happen to us. And so when you came in this morning, hopefully you had an opportunity to be able to pick up a rock. And I want you to just sort of, if you will, just kind of hang on and hold on to this rock during our time this morning. And this rock represents, if you will, evil that has been done specifically to you. It represents that person or that circumstance that caused damage or pain in your life. But in addition to the hurt that it caused... We carry these rocks with us. We allow them to continue to weigh us down, constantly allowing ourselves to be reminded of the evil. And for some of us, we have many rocks that we carry in our pockets, many things that have happened in our lives that weigh us down. And, you know, in the New Testament, both Peter and Paul, two of the primary writers of the New Testament, the, the voice to the Jews and the voice to the Gentiles, they knew this and talked about it, wrote about it, and embraced it. Peter, in 1 Peter 4.12 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as, through some, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter knew that suffering was going to be a part of life, that there were going to be hurts that would come our way. Paul actually took this one step farther in 2 Timothy 3. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There is a reality to this, that if we want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will face persecution. And it's not just being persecuted for our faith, which will happen, but it's also persecution in that we will have those that God will allow to cause hurt in our lives that will rise up against us in a very deep and personal way. And so the question I have for you this morning as we get started is who has wounded or betrayed or abused or abandoned or forsaken or forgotten, or hurt you? Who is it that has hurt you more than anyone else in the world? And I'm not going to ask you to share this or to write it down, but I'm going to ask you to reach back in your past. It could have been a parent. It could be a sibling. It could have been your spouse. It could have been one of your kids. It could have been a business partner. Or it could have even been somebody who is involved in the same church as you. 
But those who picture, you know, those faces that come to your mind when you think about who has lied to you, who has betrayed you or hurt you or wounded you, or, or maybe they didn't hurt you specifically, but they wounded somebody that you love. Maybe they did it to one of your kids, or maybe they did it to your mom or your dad. And in your honest moments, in the quietness of your own heart, you have a rock and you would like to see revenge. You've got a rock of anger and hurt that you've been holding on to. And so really the question becomes not necessarily what to do, right? Because we know that we should resist the urge to hurl rocks back. But then what do we do? How do we overcome the evil that is aimed at us? Because everyone faces this situation. Your situation is different from everybody else's, but it is not unique in the sense that others have not experienced the same emotions. You are not alone. But a lot of times what we tend to do is we tend to just sort of push it down and go into denial. And and a lot of times the issues in our lives come about because we're walking around with rocks inside of our pockets. They weigh us down. They block our relationship with God. And they produce all kinds of things inside of us emotionally. And so once again this morning, I want to look at the life of a man who probably endured more injustice and evil than anyone else in Scripture aside from Christ himself. And he had a secret, and he responded in such a way that he was able to overcome the evil that was aimed at him. And it really is a story of going from the pit to the palace. And it's the story of Joseph. And so if you have your Bibles, you can flip over. We're going to jump over to Genesis chapter 37. And I want to give you sort of a high-level overview summary of Joseph's life. So these events take place from Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50. That's 14 chapters. We are not going to go through 14 chapters this morning, I promise you. But I want to just sort of touch on some different elements of his life, and then we'll look at some specific passages as we sort of draw some principles uh, near the end. But Joseph has a story from the pit to the palace. And the reason that I want to look at Joseph's story is because I believe Joseph's journey reveals how we can overcome the evil that is aimed at us. And one of the amazing things in this is that God was sovereignly orchestrating the events of Joseph's life. And sometimes we think that God is sovereignly at work in our lives when things are going well, and then when something bad or tragic happens to us, that it's because God has forsaken us, that he has left us. And yet what the reality of this is, and what we see in Scripture in Joseph's life, is that God remained sovereignly present with Joseph all through the different the different hurts that he dealt with. And so we want to look at how God sovereignly allowed Joseph to be exposed to evil in his life. And I want to share with you seven different examples as I just kind of highlight his life. One of them is that Joseph was born in a dysfunctional family. We see this in Genesis chapter 37. You probably know the story. His father shows great favoritism and sets him up for failure. 
He is the center of attention. He has a special coat that marks him off. His dad shows favoritism. He tattles on his brothers. He's a narcissist. He thinks that he's the center of the universe. And God gives him this dream. And instead of stewarding it, he blurts it out. And he comes to his brothers and he says, hey, guess what? Someday you're going to bow down to me. And he has all of these issues to deal with. In chapter 37, it says, so Jacob settled in the land of Canaan where his father lived. And this is the history of Jacob's family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks with his half-brothers and sons of his father's wives. But Joseph reported to his father some bad things that his brothers were doing, which, of course, made him not very popular with his brothers. It says, now Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his children. And, and so as a quick aside, right, that is a recipe for disaster, isn't it? favoritism, partiality. And so uh, Joseph, uh, you know, had his son Joseph, in, or uh, Jacob had his son Joseph and loved him. And one day he gave Joseph the coat of many colors, right? A special gift, a beautiful robe. And his brothers hated him for that. And so it caused all kinds of problems between him and his brothers. And then, of course, he had the dream where he Uh, tells his brothers that they were all in a field tying bundles of grain and his bundle stood up and all the other brothers' bundles bowed down to his. And so, you know, they were kind of taunting him and saying, well, what are you saying? That you're going to be my king? And they hated him for this dream. And then Joseph had another dream and it basically told the same story. And so it was this very dysfunctional family, uh, favoritism and Uh, sort of pride and, uh, you know, kind of a haughty opinion of himself, uh, you know, telling on his brothers and, you know, shoving this dream down their throat a little bit. And it came out of this favoritism that existed in their family. I think sometimes we have people, right? Maybe you're somebody that has come from a dysfunctional family. You have a dysfunctional background. And sometimes it can be easy to think that, you know, that God can't really use you. Uh, that God isn't really, uh, you know, going to be able to accomplish anything in you because of the dysfunction that you grew up with. But that wasn't true for Joseph, and God prevailed in spite of that. The second thing is that he was rejected by his brothers. And again, we see this in chapter 37. You know, his dad says, hey, why don't you go over to your brothers and check on them because they're taking care of the sheep. And Joseph is checking on his brothers, and he can't find them. And he asks, you know, where are they? And, he, he, you know, the guy tells him, well, they're over here. And so the brothers see him coming off from a distance, and they're thinking, you know, we, we hate this guy. We hate his guts. Let's kill him. And so there was an argument that went back and forth between the brothers about killing Joseph. And they ultimately, one of the brothers convinced them not to kill him. And they said, let's just put him in this pit. Why kill him? Just put him in this pit. And so he was rejected out of the dysfunction of his family. He was rejected by his brothers. And I'm sure that that's true of some of us here today, that you have faced rejection. That somebody in your life that you were close to, maybe it was a a family member, maybe it was somebody that you cared for, maybe it was somebody that was important to you in your life, that in that moment there was a rejection that took place. And it carved a deep, deep wound in your life. 
And so you carry this rock of rejection. Well, there's a third rock that happens in Joseph's life, and that is that he was abandoned to a foreign land. Genesis chapter 37 again continues, and it says that while they were waiting, the caravan of Ishmaelites came by, and one of the brothers said, why should we have his blood on our hands? Let's get something for him. So for 20 pieces of silver, they sell him to this caravan, and the caravan was on its way to Egypt. So imagine you're 17 years old, and you're getting on a caravan with people who speak a different language, who are being taken to a world with all of these different gods, and then being dropped off. He doesn't know the culture. He doesn't even know the language. And so he goes from being very much privileged, right? Sort of the center of the universe in his father's eyes to now a slave. And so life is getting pretty difficult in a hurry. And he is abandoned to a foreign land. Now, a lot of us probably have never been physically uprooted to a whole new location. But it happens It happens in our stories. When things happen in our lives, everything can change. I, I, you know, have my own experience in my life where I experienced betrayal by somebody that was very close. And it wasn't just an isolated element of betrayal in that relationship. That as a result, I I lost my kids. I lost my home. I, I was put in a position where I needed to quit my job and And so I was just sort of floundering. I had no place to go. I had no idea what I was going to do next. Uh, I was sort of forced into, uh, you know, some, you know, jobs where I I had no idea what I was doing. I had no experience. And it was very much like being sort of in this abandoned foreign land, right? That everything was new. It wasn't just this isolated incident. But you know, if you've been through things like this, right, that something happens and it impacts your entire life the entire scope of all of the different things that you're familiar with. And it is completely foreign in so many ways. Well, that happened to Joseph, and maybe that is also a rock that you bear as well. The fourth fourth rock that we see is that he was sold into slavery. We see this in Genesis chapter 39. Uh, So when he gets to Egypt, there's a slave auctioneer. And Potiphar, who's kind of the head of the secret service of the king of Egypt, buys Joseph. And he's sold as a slave, and Potiphar brings him in. But Joseph has this really unique ability. He has two great strengths. One, God has given him the ability to interpret dreams. And two, he is administratively gifted. And, you know, Potiphar gets it. He sees it. He sees that Joseph is a strategic thinker, and he knows how to implement a strategic plan. And so Potiphar watches, and God's hand is on Joseph, and everything that Joseph puts his hand on succeeds. And so eventually Potiphar just kind of turns everything over to him, right? He, he hands him his, you know, black American Express card, and he says, you know, you got it. You take care of the household And it says in scripture, the text tells us that Potiphar said that he didn't have to worry about anything. And so here's the amazing thing, right? Is that Joseph is in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this heartbreak, and yet God is at work. God is present with him. God is enabling and empowering and blessing him as he continues to go through it. Sometimes we think, hey, if God comes in and he's active and present in my circumstances, my circumstances are going to get better. 
My circumstances are going to start moving positively. God is going to start righting the wrongs. But we know that God's timing is perfect and it doesn't always happen the way that we want or when we want it to. And so this slavery becomes another rock that he deals with. Of course, it doesn't get better from there. If you know the story, then you know that the fifth thing that happens is that he is falsely accused of rape. In Genesis chapter 39, uh, we kind of read the story about Joseph, who apparently was sort of the Brad Pitt of his day. Uh, he was a good-looking guy, and, uh, and he was you know, there, and things were going well for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, Potiphar's wife kind of gets the hots for Joseph. That's not really in the original text, but (laughs) it's kind of the sentiment. And uh, she basically says, hey, my husband is away on business a lot, and uh, we should go to bed together. And so she's coaxing him and enticing him. And Joseph says, I will not betray your husband who has been good to me, and I could not ever do this against my God. And so day after day, she tries to seduce him. And and just imagine, imagine being a 19-year-old male who is in this very difficult situation. Some, you know, lady in the house wants to have sex with him. And, you know, we all know that most men in that situation would find it very difficult to resist. You know, most men would say, hey, that sounds like a pretty good idea. But there's something about Joseph's understanding about who it is and who has blessed his life. And so he resists. He resists this temptation. And does God bless because he resists? Well, look at what happens. Finally, she ends up with him alone, and he's walking through the house. She grabs him. She pulls him into the bedroom. She takes his cloak off, and he runs for his life. And then when Potiphar comes home, she says, this Hebrew that you have brought into your house tried to rape me. And so he was falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? Maybe that's your rock. Maybe that's the thing that you're holding on to, that somebody has made accusations about you that are just not true. And it hurt. And it is something that has been difficult to ever let go of. Well, there was another rock that came after that. Of course, after being accused of rape, then Joseph was sent to prison unjustly. Again, in Genesis chapter 39, Potiphar hears this accusation from his wife, he's upset, and so uh, he is sent to prison very much unjustly. And I don't know if anybody has situations in your life where the lives of the people that you love, where you come from a dysfunctional family, where you've suffered great rejection, you've been abandoned, you've been sold into slavery, falsely accused about something, and been in prison. That's probably not the story for most of us, but it was the story for Joseph. It was a series of unjust acts that were happening in his life. And then the icing on the cake is number seven. He was forgotten by a friend. In Genesis chapter 40, we learn that he, while he was in prison, there were two of the king's officials in prison, a baker and a cupbearer, and they both land in prison. They both have dreams And they come to Joseph, and they're totally distraught. And the cupbearer has a dream. He interprets the dream and says, in three days, you're going to be restored to the position. And the baker says, hey, this guy is great with dreams. What do you think about my dream? And so he interprets his dream, and he says, in three days, you're going to get your head cut off. And both things come true. 
And so Joseph says to the cupbearer, man, you've seen me. You know that I'm innocent. I didn't do this. When you get back with Pharaoh, put in a good word for me, right? Say something nice, you know, because I'm in an unfair situation. And so, you know, he's probably in his mid-20s. It's unjust. It's unfair. He's been betrayed. He's been rejected. Uh, The cupbearer gets so excited and is so faithful, he totally forgets him. In fact, Joseph is 28. He's been in prison a better portion uh, of probably eight or nine years at this point, and now he is just completely forgotten. I wonder if you can put yourself in Joseph's shoes to go through all of that and to experience the power of God as you're interpreting dreams, as, as God is giving you privilege and prominence even within these places that you're being put unjustly, and yet at the end of it all, he's forgotten. He feels lonely and isolated. I wonder if anybody here has ever had these kinds of things happen to them. These are the rocks of anger that are some of us are that some of us are carrying. If anyone endured evil in their lifetime, it was Joseph. Rejected, abandoned, falsely accused, a slave, imprisoned, and forgotten. And yet there is this kind of element that happens to him. Instead of it breaking him, it makes him. And so for you and I, I think we have to ask a question about what about for us? These rocks of anger that some of us are carrying, if anyone endured evil in their lifetime, like we said, it's Joseph. But does it break us or does it ultimately make us? It's very difficult to endure pain and to do endure hurtful ex- experiences, especially unjust ones that happen in our lives, especially maybe when somebody just walks out on you, somebody lies to you, somebody betrays you, somebody maybe abuses you. In most cases, it will break a person. They get bitter, they have unresolved emotional issues and social issues. And they often turn away from people and often turn away from God. You know, when you think about sort of like, you know, drug and alcohol rehab centers, uh, they often find their root in these issues. That there's some element of dysfunction, that there's some element of rejection and abandonment of unjust things that happen in our lives. And it drives people to drugs and alcohol because it drives people to places where they have to lean on another substance to be able to ease the pain of their own hearts. It breaks them. And so the question is, as you're holding this rock and you're thinking about the specific person or circumstance that it represents in your life, is is it breaking you or is it making you? And that's the lesson that we have from Joseph. And Joseph was made by it. Joseph comes before the king eventually to interpret his dream. He's no longer proud or arrogant. Uh, He interprets the dream, and as a result, God brings him to be second in command over all of the land. And in Genesis, it tells us that Joseph, uh, the Lord was with Joseph, that his presence remained throughout the entire time. He appoints Joseph He rules all of Egypt, and that's how the story progresses. And 
What we're going to find a little bit later is that Joseph's brothers, because of his family, will come to Egypt to buy grain. And, you know, we don't have time to get into the whole story, but they come to Egypt. And when they come to Egypt, they don't even recognize Joseph. And he's in all of his Egyptian garb. And it's been years since the last time that they saw him. And Pharaoh had actually given him a wife. He had a couple of children. He's the second most powerful person in the world. And Pharaoh basically saw the same things that Potiphar saw in him. And he said, I'm going to turn everything over to him. And it was the theme of his life. In bad times and good times, the Lord was with Joseph. And when you look at his circumstances, you might say, you know, I don't think that the Lord was with him. If the Lord was with him, how in the world did he end up in prison? If the Lord was with him, why in the world would he allow him to be rejected? If the Lord was with him, how in the world would he allow him to be, have such a raw deal? If the Lord was with him, why would God allow him to be forgotten for so long? Joseph, by faith, is going to trust that even though he can't see it in his circumstances, that God is really with him. And that's really the challenge for you and I, is to trust and to see the presence of God in your circumstances. And so, how do we do that? How was Joseph able to do that? Well, we look by seeing how Joseph was able to respond to these circumstances, these evil things that were happening. Uh, let me just run through a, a few of these. One is that he survived. Amen? He survived. He learned and he adapted. When you go through times like this, sometimes you get an A just for surviving, just because you made it through. Praise the Lord that you made it through, that you endured. And let me tell you this, that if you're going through it right now, you will survive. God will endure with you through this trial. It may seem like it is an impossible task, but God will walk with you through it all. You know, you know, sometimes if you go through abuse, you you know, maybe you've been in a situation where you come home and there's a note on the refrigerator and your spouse is gone. And it says, I don't love you anymore. Maybe you've been in a business relationship and you realize that this so-called business person is also a good embezzler and they've left, left town and you've got all of the debt and you're fuming. Joseph learned a new language. He learned a new culture and he went from being hyper-privileged to being a peasant. But he survived. But he didn't just survive, right? Joseph thrived. How did he thrive in the midst of all this? Well, he thrived by using his gifts where he was. He used his gifts. He ended up being the head of the prison, right? He didn't say, well, God rejected me and the world rejected me and life isn't fair and I'm a victim. And so, you know, it's terrible. I'm just going to stay home and watch soap operas and eat chocolate right? That's not what he decided. He took his gifts and he says, you know what? These are the things that I can do. And he used his gifts of administration, of interpreting dreams. And so he leaned in to what God had given him, what God had promised him, even when it looked and felt and, and was happening where the rest of his life was falling apart. He does what he can with what he has and he doesn't look at the circumstances. Thirdly, he resisted. He refused 
to bail out on God's agenda for his life. When you're down, when you're tired, when life's unfair, when you've been betrayed, what do you feel like doing? You may feel like saying, well, I'm going to have an extra glass of wine or two, and it's going to make me feel a little bit better. Those prescriptions for migraine headaches, for my back, I'm going to get a little bit of a buzz because I feel depressed. So I think that I'll just sort of take them all the time. And that's how it starts. Or you say, I've been walked out on, and I don't have anybody to be with, and it can hurt to just watch even just, you know, a, a, a few things on the internet. You know, it, it can't possibly hurt to sort of expose myself to a little bit of pornography. But Joseph resisted. He didn't take shortcuts. He honored God in the midst of the difficulty and pain, not perfectly, but faithfully. See, when we go through these things, we'll have good days and bad days. We'll have some failures and we'll have some successes. But the idea is to continue to move forward in honoring the Lord through the difficulty and the pain. But Joseph knew that it was important to wait on God. Part of the way that he got through it was by waiting on God's time and place. God is in absolute control and he is, he is absolutely in control and he is an all-wise God who is caring and loving. And when people try and wreck your life with their tiny and little bad evil plans, God takes them and he refashions them And he puts them back into his big good plan. He orchestrates even their bad stuff to bring about the, his highest good. If his brothers had never rejected him, he would have never been on the caravan. If the caravan had never sold him, he would have never been a slave in the house of Potiphar. If his wife wouldn't have unjustly accused him, he would have never gone to prison. If he wasn't in prison, he would have never met the cupbearer. If he hadn't met the cupbearer, he wouldn't have been interpreting dreams for the most powerful man in the world. And 13 years of all of that adversity was part of God's sovereign plan to get the right man in the right place at the right time for his good and for God's glory. The person that walked out on you, the business deal that fell through, the father or the mother that abused you, the person that lied to you, they do not have the power to ruin your life. And Joseph knew that. He just faithfully waited. And lastly, he grew. He grew in his relationship with the Lord he faced his issues and he grew in his relationships with those that hurt him. He forgave others for their harm caused. He faced his issues and he forgave. And you may say, well, you know, where do you get that? Maybe you're just making stuff up, you know, and you can read a lot about this in different ways, but Joseph. Uh, got married, he had two boys, and the names of his two boys were Manasseh and Ephraim. The word Manasseh means God has caused me to forget. And, you know, I have put it behind me. I am no longer living in my past. 
Manasseh means, guess what? I dropped my rock of anger. I am not living with memories of my dad and of the favoritism. I'm not living with my brothers and what they did to me. I am not living with a falsely accused, living in being falsely accused. I'm not remembering that I was uh, forgotten by the cupbearer. God has allowed me to forget. I have dealt with those issues. Manasseh means to forget. God allows us to not just sort of wash over the pain, but to be healed through it. And so there's a lesson here. He didn't turn on the big screen TV. He didn't get his life filled with hobbies. He didn't get busy to dull the pain. And obviously those things weren't really available back then. But when you're in prison, it's silent and you're in solitude. He had the ability to face the deepest issues in his life. He had time in prison to look up in the, through the bars and to see the stars and the hand of God and remember the dreams and the promises. And he held on to those. And remember that there were no written passages at this time. God's promises to Joseph were given to him through these dreams. And he was holding on to the character of God and the dreams. He said, you know, God said this is what's going to happen to me and I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust on it. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance so that once you have done the will of God, you might receive what was promised. See, God knows that we need endurance. We need endurance. It's, it's this hupomeno is the word. It's used in James chapter 1. It's to produce endurance. Hupo means to be under Joseph was under great stress and pressure. And God says, you need to hang in there. And you might be saying that yourself. You know, I can't make it as a single parent one more day. I can't make it in this job one more day. But you get up and you do it. And you do it each day. And you get stronger and you get stronger and you get stronger. And what happens is that God begins to change you. You know, we're always asking God to change the stuff that's out there that we can't control. And God's primary commitment to us is not that he will never change the circumstances, but his primary commitment to you and I is not that he will change his circumstances, it's that he will change us. That he will change you and I in the midst of it all. And so Joseph grew, and you and I can grow and forgive and move on. And so we look back at this passage, Romans chapter 12. This is what Paul is talking about. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, Joseph knew the secret. And the Joseph's secret to overcoming evil involved something that he knew, it involves something that he did, and it involves something 
that he refused to do. And we see this in Genesis chapter 20, 42 all the way up through 50. First, there was something that Joseph knew. And this is what he knew. Nothing comes into our lives by accident. It is either decreed or allowed by an all-wise sovereign God for our good. To say that God is all-wise means that he brings about the best possible ends by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. That's what we mean. Genesis chapter 45 verses 5 through 8 says, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. For God sent me before you to preserve your life. Think about this for a second. God allows hurtful things to be done in our lives so that we can respond in a way that will allow salvation and blessing to come so that the person doing the hurt can grow in their walk with Christ. Says, he said, for the famine has been in this land for two years and yet there are five in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so what is the application for us? The application is that I am never a victim. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt or it's not hard. It doesn't excuse the person's evil and it never makes it right. But it also means that God works all things together for those that love him. It means that God is in control. It means that God can take all of this pain and turn it into something that is for his glory and for our benefit. That's what he knew, but it wasn't just what he knew. It was also what he did. He blessed those who cursed him. In Genesis chapter 45, again, it says, Hurry and go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. Hurry and bring my father down here. Joseph chose to willfully bless the very brothers that rejected him. Again, in chapter 12 of Romans, in verses 14 and 21, it says, Bless those who persecute and bless and do not curse them. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is the application for us? The application is, is that I will do good to those who hurt me. And I, I put this caveat, right, in safe and appropriate ways, right? Obviously, there are some situations where there, just because you forgive the person, right, and, and do good, you, you have to be smart about the relationship. It doesn't mean that you continue to intentionally allow yourself to be exposed to the evil things that are being done. But if we want to be able to get rid of the rock, we have to be willing to bless the person who has wounded you. This is extremely challenging. If you've been through anything difficult, you know that to be true. And some days are better than others. Some days you're able to accomplish that better than other days. And understanding what it looks like to have healthy boundaries, but still be in a position to be open to forgiveness and reconciliation. 
But it wasn't just what he did, but it was also what he refused to do. And that is that he refused to take revenge. Chapter 50, starting at verse 15, it says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in a place of for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. See, Joseph blessed them, he honored them, he put himself in a position to forgive them. And then when they came to him and they repented, there was a finish to the forgiveness and there was a repentance or there was a reconciliation in the relationship. Joseph forgave them from the heart. This is exactly what Romans chapter 12 is talking about. And so the application for you and I then is that I will choose to forgive, to release those who hurt me from the retribution that they deserve because Christ has done that for me. Amen. If you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted him as your personal savior, then Christ has forgiven you of the greatest betrayal in human, humanly possible to reject Christ as Savior, to sin against Christ is the greatest tragedy. And yet, when we come to Christ in faith and we put our trust in Him, He offers us forgiveness. Forgiveness is the model that we receive from the Father and it is the model that we are called to in the relationships with those that have done evil against us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so, as we wrap this up, then here's the question, right? Is how do you overcome the evil that is aimed at you? How do we drop the rocks? How do we get rid of the things that we are carrying around with us. Well, just like Joseph, we need to choose to forgive the person or the people that have hurt us. We need to understand that we have been forgiven for even greater sin. We have a choice to forgive. We have a process of forgiving. And we have a resolution that is forgiveness. And so that's a choice that each one of us have to make in our own lives. So I want you to think about in these last couple of minutes, I want you to think about the person that this rock represents for you. The circumstance, the events that happened that led to this harm, right? This wound, this betrayal that you carry around with you. And I wonder if today is a day that God might have you release it. And to at least put yourself in a position, a standing of forgiveness. And depending on what the situation is, that might look a lot of different ways. 
But rather than holding on to this and allowing it to weigh you down, allowing it to hold you back from what God has for you, maybe today is the day that it's time to release it and to give it over and to allow God to be present in your relationship. And so this morning, in a few minutes, we're going to close with a song. And I'm, I'm just going to invite you as an act of symbolism, right, to just come during the closing song, and you can just put the rock somewhere up here and just let it serve as a symbolic way to tell the Lord, not me, not other people, but to tell the Lord that you're going to release it, that you're going to give it up, that you're going to turn it over and choose to forgive. Secondly, we can begin to pray daily to bless the person that has hurt you. I would just encourage you to try this for 30 days, to pray for 30 days for that person. Don't give them what they want because they deserve it, but do it because God didn't give us what we deserve. And then lastly, maybe God would call you to do one act of kindness for that person who hurt you. Again, it needs to be appropriate and safe, but maybe there's something that God would put in your own heart to do. And so as we conclude our time this morning, may God be honored and glorified in our relationships with those who have hurt us. Next week, we are going to conclude our series on true spirituality. And I want to take a little bit of time to reflect on the purpose of spiritual growth, which is the glory of God. But I'd also like to create space for us to reflect and to share about how God is working in our own lives. If true spirituality is more accurately evaluated based on our relationships rather than the things that we do, then it might be good to take time to share about how God is working and challenging us in our relationships. And the purpose of the sharing would obviously be for the glory of God. And so this is going to be different than our regular sharing services in that we want to reflect back specifically on how God is helping to draw us into a deeper and more authentic spiritual growth. And so you can be praying and thinking about that as you prepare for next week. Um, but I'm going to close this in a time of prayer. I want you to just, you know, hold on to the rock. And you don't, you don't have to come. But if the Lord is leading you, we're going to close in a song. And if God is leading you, and, and it's time to release, it's time to forgive, um, then just you can come forward and do that symbolically. But in our hearts, this is what God wants for us. This is how we navigate through the evil that is aimed at us in our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for uh, the story of Joseph. It is difficult for us to imagine what it must have been like to be a young man and to go through so much and to experience so much pain and so much heartache. And yet, God, we see your faithfulness and presence, your sovereignty through his whole life. And God, we know that you are equally sovereign and faithful in our lives. And God, this morning, no doubt, in a room this size, we know that there are people in here that are carrying big, heavy rocks. Hurts and wounds that have been there 
for, in some cases, many, many years. And it weighs us down, and it keeps us bogged down with the evil that's been done. It keeps us away from the things that you have for us and the blessing that you desire for us. And so, God, we want to acknowledge your faithfulness, and we want to follow your example. And, God, we just want to release these people in these circumstances, these situations. God, we release them to you. In Jesus' name, we forgive those that have hurt us, that have sinned against us. And God, help us to model in our response the authentic, genuine love of Christ so that they may be drawn to him. God, we pray for wounds that are deep and, and, um, and painful. And I pray for healing for each one who is experiencing that. I pray that they would be able to lean on you and trust you through the process. And even at the times where they feel like giving up, when they feel like they've been abandoned, when they feel like they're all alone, God, that they would be able to see you, that they would be able to hear your voice. And God, that they would be able to continue to use the gifts that you've given them, God, and to pursue your will and to experience the goodness of your sovereign plan. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.